Hello and welcome to This Spiritual Fix, Episode 8, Season 2, where today we are going to be talking about Part 2 of the Drama Triangle, specifically about the persecutor, the victim, and the inner drama triangle. Stay tuned. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Christina. Hello, Anna. How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. It's going. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, how's your summer going? What's going on with your summer? Oh my God. We're having the best summer. It's Are called, mm-hmm, it's called camp mom, then camp dad or camp Corey quist, which is uh, our neighbors. So but basically my kids are not doing camp between mom, dad, and some neighbors. They're just having like a free range summer. Awesome. And it's really relaxed and fun at my house. So yeah. What That's about you? So good. My kids are, we just got an RV today or we're going to get it tomorrow. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yes. I mean, I knew you were thinking about it, but I didn't know you were really going to do it. Uh Uh-huh. We are, we're doing it. And we figured, uh, we're, we, we always try and think of ways of which we can make good investments out of the things that we do, which does not always succeed. I will totally admit. But, um, the idea with this is that actually right now the market for renting RVs is really, really hot. And we're getting like a brand new, nice travel trailer. So the idea is that when we're not using it, we're renting it out to other people to use it. And then it will allow people to come and stay with us on our property and they can just have like a little bit of a glamping experience in an RV if they don't want to stay in the house too. And then eventually it will become the retreat center that it's supposed to be the whole property. But that's yeah, step long number term one. vision. Long term yeah. vision. Yep. Yeah. Step step one of five or whatever. <laughs> 500. 500. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So it's all good. It's all good. Um, it's, uh, it's been amazing. Like the, for, there's a drought here for a while and now, um, every afternoon to evening, it just starts raining and does like the thing it does in Georgia, which I feels like monsoon season a little bit, like in India. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you remember monsoon from India. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were there, like in the places where it did that, but like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Drenched, drenched, drenched. Right. It was just like the skies open, but it's like all of a sudden you're wet from head to toe. Literally every, every layer of clothing is drenched. There's something about it. I love though, because it feels like it cuts off all the possibilities. Like my mind is the type of mind who will like always be like, Oh, it's sunny outside. I should, 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 should go do this, 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 this sort of thing. And like when it rains, I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here and read my book. And I don't feel like I, or be with my kids or play a game or do something yeah. like that. It's, like, yeah. Yeah. The, the mom guilt, the mom guilt dissipates when I let my kids watch a movie and it's raining outside. I'm like, well, since it's raining, I guess it's time for popcorn in a movie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's something to be said for those like comforting moments of relinquishing you from possibility. Like I really, I really do wish, like, I'm grateful for the possibility and the, the different 
the array of things that are open and available. And I'm grateful for them, but I also sometimes find them exhausting. Yeah. It's nice not to have your freedom sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Or at least or freedom or a different kind of freedom, freedom yeah. from guilt of productivity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or just to have like, instead of a thousand possibilities, you just have five. I'm fine with five. Yeah. I would, I would, yeah. but this actually goes really, really well into our topic today, which is we are going to be talking about the drama triangle. Yeah. Part two. And the reason that it brings up really well, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but one of the main hallmarks of the victim consciousness is that they want their decisions made for them. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, oh my God, that's amazing. I just realized that's the only time I ever like to go shopping for clothes is with my sister because she will make all the decisions for me. She's like, that looks good. That looks bad. This get this, don't get that. And she'll just like, tell me what to try on and she'll buy it for me. And I'm like, victim, victim me is like, I love shopping with you. <laughs> right. Cause you don't have to make any decisions. And it's funny. Cause we, we could say, um, we could say that it's like a victim, um, mentality. And one of the things we're going to talk about in the healing episode, which is going to be, which is going to be a future episode in this series. The last episode in this series is we're going to talk about how you can change the victim from the victim into the creator. Right. In which case, you know, maybe your sister coming and taking you out and making it so that she treats you to that is actually a really amazing situation, right? But the need that needs to get met is that you want to have somebody take care of you, right? Like ultimately the the need of, of, of having your sister choose that is like, I can make a I don't even have to make this decision right now. I don't have to make any of the decisions. Well, and I also just feel like it's a, yeah. yeah, And I feel like it's a good decision. Cause then when I go in my closet and I'm like, what am I going to put on? I'm like, well, I know what's going to look good on me. Cause my sister said so. (laughs) That's exactly it though. That's exactly it. Right. Because she's meeting your need. Like you could think of it in one sense, maybe it starts from you being a victim and not wanting to make a decision and your sister being the rescuer who's coming in and swooping in and making the decisions for you. Right. Or it evolves. It, it evolves. But does it have to, like, to be yeah. so, does it have to be such a toxic drama triangle? Can we also just look at it through the lens of like, it's a task I don't enjoy. She's good at it. She enjoys That's exactly, it. That's exactly what I'm saying. we're sharing that together. Because That's exactly you take, it. Okay. Because it doesn't feel pathological when we do it, but like definitely there's other times in my life where I needed a need met. I, I sought the wrong person to meet a certain need and that was toxic. But like her shopping with me seems very fun and and, it, and that's the not whole toxic. thing. It's not toxic. That's the thing. Like, I feel like one of the things that I've been in this for the two weeks that, that God, it's only two weeks. I feel like it should be five years. The, that's a form of self-abuse, by the way, what I just said, um, <laughs> the, right. uh, you know, you're in it when you're in it and don't self-victimizing don't, self-victimizing. Right. Um, Is that what you mean when you say self-abuse, self, self-persecution, self-persecution? Yeah. It's either self-abuse, self-abandonment or self-neglect. So it's one of the three. Wait, okay. So self-abandonment is the victimizing. Mm-hmm. Self-abuse, self-abuse is, is the, the self is persecuting and self-neglect is a form of rescuing basically, but they're right. all just forms of self-abuse, which we'll why is it self-neglect? Okay. We're going to get into that. Um, and then should we quickly review what they all are? We are. Someone missed we the last are. episode. Okay, totally sorry. Will. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yep. Yep. No, but, but just to finish that last thought, not every interaction is is this 
is the drama triangle, right? Like a lot of it can look like it. But the thing is, is that if you're directly asking someone for your, to fulfill your need, and it's not like your superficial need, it's like your real need. So I'll give you an example. Kids often get sick because they want to be comforted and they want to have an excuse to watch TV all day. If they're allowed to do that by directly saying, I just want to sit with you on the couch and watch TV all day. And just the two of us do this instead of getting sick, then they don't have to get sick. Right. right? So fully pulling into going, I need to get sick in order to get what I need. That is when we fall, fall into the drama part of it. Right. Because then somebody has to come in and rescue them. But if everybody's being totally upfront and everyone's allowing the interactions of what people needs and, and people are being direct about their needs and saying, this is my need. So you and I are saying, I want to go shopping with you because I don't want to decide. And your sister's like, great. I love doing that. Let's okay. Do so it. it's when you kind of, it's when it's unspoken and un, so here's a funny example. So yesterday my son couldn't find something and he's crying, mommy, mommy, come help me find it. And I'm walking downstairs to go help him. And then I listen and I'm like, I'm like, wait, am I get, am I going into the drama triangle? Am I playing rescuer? And he's playing victim here because, and then I had to stop myself. I say, he's a little boy. He's asking me directly for help. I'm choosing to help him this. I don't feel like it is drama triangle. And then I said, we're going to look for it together. You know, like I wanted to teach him to solve his own need too. Yeah. Yeah. I found it. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Of course. No, but that, that is the trick of this, right? Is that the drama triangle gets created with the victim consciousness. And the reason that it's called that it's called the victim consciousness, even though it involves all three is because everybody is aiming to become the victim, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to become the one that gets their needs met, right? And the victim is by far the the kind of easiest form to come in to do that. So the persecutor persecutes so that then they can become the abandoned, they can become the victim themselves. And then the rescuer rescues until they fail in their rescue and then they become the victim as well. So everyone's kind of vying for this ultimate position of victim it's and a coveted position. It is a coveted position indeed. Uh, queen, queen victim. Queen, I am the queen victim today. But if you think about it, if you're a child, you are always seeking to have your needs met because you cannot meet your needs directly yourself. The whole point of growing up is to figure out how to get your needs met. Right. And if you ask for something directly and then it's rebuffed, or if you're taught through, through uh, all sorts of family dynamics that you're not supposed to ask for what you want, then the only way that you can get what you want is to be in the coveted victim position. So you see your parents continually flipping and flopping between persecutor and rescuer to in interaction with you. So you learn that dynamic. And since they seem to have not grown up out of that same dynamic that you're still learning to you're on developmental track when you're young and you're learning this, but if your parents haven't learned it yet, then you can't learn how to get out of it either. So all of you guys are kind of stuck in it. And they say, uh, this book that I've been reading, which is how to break free of the drama triangle and victim consciousness. They talk about, um, how victim consciousness is both a developmental issue and an evolutionary issue. When you personally have completed the important developmental tasks of individuation, bonding, separation, autonomy, mastery, and cooperation. So again, that's bonding, separation, autonomy, mastery, and cooperation. You naturally move out of victim consciousness. You become self-directed rather than other directed. And what age does that usually happen? 
Does it, does um, it, it didn't say what, what age it normally happens at, but based on the other studies that I've done with everything else, I would say it's around the time of like between eight and 10 when cooperation really pulls in. And if your family's still stuck in that and no one has fully reached the cooperation stage of self of, of individuation, then everyone's still stuck kind of at an emotional maturity level that is much, much younger. And it's really the blind leading the blind. It can feel like that at sometimes. I know I felt like that on occasion because I see my kids. I was, I was saying to Anna the other day, I was saying to you, I was saying how I was going to record a conversation that my kids made. I really wish I could have recorded and given it to y'all, but the basic, the basic aim of it was they were trying to share a resource. So they were trying to cooperate, right? Like they were trying to share a resource. They had an iPad and they were, they were playing um, a game together that they share, like that they share the user together. And first Lyra went into shaming and then Tamlin went into victim and then Tamlin went into rescuer. And it was like this amazing dynamic. And I was like, okay, this doesn't sound like the drama triangle. This just sounds like kids working out how to cooperate together. And I started to really understand it firsthand that the drama triangle is a natural developmental milestone in our understanding. And we have to get to the point of cooperation as adults if we haven't gotten there already, that part of individuation in order to be able to teach our kids how to do it. So they were working on learning how to cooperate. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. So I did a, something different with my kids, which was they were bickering about something. So I was like, Hey guys, let's play the game. And I'm like, you can be three different people, persecutor, victim, or uh, rescuer. And like, as the, and then I was like, we kind of were just exaggerating. And I was like, no, 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 look at me. I'm the victim. I really want milk. You know, someone give me milk, someone rescue me or whatever. We were playing this game and we played it back and forth a little bit and they were laughing. They thought it was really funny. And then they stopped playing the game. And then they, then they, they went back to the bickering and they started being the victim. I go, Oh, look, Axel's playing the victim. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm just da, 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 da. And then my daughter's like, I was like, look, you're playing persecutor. She's like, no, I'm not. I don't want to play this game anymore. And I'm like, but you're playing it. Wow. And how did um, they feel about that? Yeah. That's I was like, awesome. well, you're yeah. Cause I was like, well, you are playing it still. And they're like, Oh, it was just funny. Cause you saw I'm not going to try to like let make my kids bypass the drama triangle. It's an important part of learning and and you know learning to cooperate and learning to socially relate to others. It's not like I'm going to try to make them bypass it, but I wanted them to just see that the game that they were playing continued even though they didn't want to play it because they're I just wanted them to be aware that we do this. Wow. Wow. No, that's 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 amazing. Like that's such a good it's a really it's a really good way of doing it. And I feel like um, I might try, I might see, I think my kids might be slightly, I think Tamlin would be slightly too young to be able to understand it, but I think it would definitely be something that is great. Someone once described to me uh, the kind of homeschooling that they did and their homeschooling was very dramatic in the sense that it was filled with psychodramas is what they called them. Where like, basically like every week they would get together some sort of psychological play. It would be like a play, but they would call it, they called it a psychodrama. And like, they would basically try and work out issues in the play, right? So they would have some sort of, and it wouldn't be melodrama. It wouldn't be like um, melodramas where you always know everything's going to turn out well, right? Where everyone always gets along in the end. It would, it would be like, okay, everybody has to make sacrifices in order for this to work. And it was basically a way of, of teaching an emotional school 
in a different way. And I, I wonder if they had so like a workbook or they just made, winged it. I think they just winged it. It was back in the seventies. So, you know, it was like, I wonder 80s, how did those kids turned out? How did those kids turn out? <laughs> I think, well, but you know, it's hard to say, cause I knew their parents. So, you know, they're always like, everything's good. <laughs> right. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm really interested when I see parents raising their kids in unique ways, mm. I'm always like, I wish I could fast forward and see if that, like, if that worked out. So that's kind of how we go with kids, right? Like in this, in the sense of we recognize that kids move out of the drama, drama triangle and we recognize in ourselves if we haven't actually moved out of it ourselves. So first I'm going to talk about the inner drama triangle. And then in the second part of the episode, we're going to talk about um, the persecutor and victim. We talked about the rescuer in the last episode, um, but I will touch on a couple of things with the rescuer here so that you can kind of get a full story of all three. And then Anna's going to do... Um, and has done some amazing work with figuring out some more links between the wounds and the drama triangle. So we're going to talk about that at the end. So I want to first explain the inner drama triangle versus the external drama triangle. So everyone talks about, it's easy to understand the roles of I'm the victim, I'm the abuser, I'm the persecutor when you're in relationship with other people, right? Because you can naturally fall into that when you're with your spouse and you're trying to get your needs met and then you find that they're not doing what you need them to do. And so therefore you start to play the victim because it's the only way that you can, um, that you can get what you need. I am so classic at this. What I used to do it, to the point now that I like feel like my drama doesn't have nearly as much of an impact. But what I used to do is like, I would ask Luke, like we used to have budgeting conversations and our budgeting conversations used to be so, so difficult, right? Because I am like what you would call, um, what Dave Ramsey calls like the free spirit versus the conservative person. And Luke is 100% the conservative spender and I'm 100% the free spirit. For me, I'm like, I don't want my spirit to be damped by having to have budgets and things like that. But we used to have these conversations every week and they would just get so incredibly contentious because I, he basically would pull up a budget and then he would put every single thing down that he, he had to ask me about every single one of my purchases. Cause he didn't know what they were for. Cause I wasn't talking to him about that. So basically I, I felt like I was being put on trial every single week to describe what I was spending my money on. Right. Even though like I had spent, I'd done so hard to like earn the money. And I felt like I was sacrificing so much. You can hear all this victim language in here, but like, I felt like I was sacrificing so much by doing a job that I didn't sing to me and didn't speak to me in the same way I wanted it to. And I was like, how can you control the way that I'm, this is my payment for all the things, all the sacrifices that I make, which is the martyr, which is what we're going to talk about when we get to the super victim consciousness is the martyr. I've done all of this for you. And now you're just, you, you have to ask me about every single purchase that I made. And, and Luke would just be like, I, to the point where I would get so dramatic about it that I would just, I would just start yelling. He was just sitting there basically passive, but because he didn't give me the results I needed, I just amped up and amped up and amped up and amped up the drama. What was the result you needed? Like, I don't, Eventually we found out the result I needed was I needed a space of freedom in which I was completely above reproach with money. Okay. Yeah. When you made the like, okay, here's my X amount of dollars to spend on whatever I want a month. Yeah. And I don't have to explain any of it. All I have to say is that's Christina's money. 
right? right? Like that's that. And nobody is explaining anything. I can go and I can literally shred it outside in the yard. <laughs> and that's my choice. And that's what I needed. But until I understood that that was what I needed. And because I didn't have the tools to understand that I would just sit there and literally have a guy there who was just trying to get something done. And I would just be amping up the drama and you would just go into drama. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the external, the internal is then the really tricky one, which is the internal monologue that happens after, you know, you've done something wrong like that. Like, like when I was sitting there and oh, I was the shame amp- voice, the shame voice, I was sitting there and I was amping up the drama and I was being totally ridiculous. And then, and right after it was done, I started hating myself. How come you can't do this? How come you can't just express what you need? How come you can't do like, this is my inner monologue that goes in. And this is the form of self-abuse that happens because you have unmet needs and because you've learned or not learned well enough, like how to basically take care of yourself and love yourself and to a point where you're actually not creating this drama inside your head as well. Like it's one thing to get into an argument. It's a totally different thing to then hate yourself for getting into the argument in the first place. And, and so, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to like the inner drama triangle, what we're talking about is the internal monologue that happens within your head. So Anna, you talked about this with the intrusive thoughts when we went into the humiliation episode last um, season, what were, can you bring back what those voices were that you were if you can think of them, there's a, if I can remember, it's like the warrior. It was the warrior, mm-hmm. the, the false hope voice, mm-hmm. and then the observer. All right. Okay. So usually it's like the warrior is like, the warrior is like, my house is going to burn down. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then the false hope is like, no, it's not. You turned everything off. You're fine. And then the warrior is like, well, no, well, maybe I left the curling iron on. And the false hope is like, Oh, no, you didn't. You definitely didn't. You definitely like didn't leave the, you know, and then there's this back and forth. And as the warrior gets more worried, basically false comfort, the more false comfort tries to comfort the anxiety voice, the stronger the anxiety voice gets. So it actually does the exact opposite of what it should be doing, which is to calm it down. But by calming it down, you're actually making it stronger because you're resisting it. And you're also, so it starts to feel even more real. Right. Right. So relate this to the inner triangle and I'm going to relate this now to the inner triangle. You can tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Um, So in this particular case, oh my God, my house is going to burn down is the victim. The false Mm -hmm. hope is the rescuer and they keep failing at their rescue. They're trying to rescue you from the thought of, oh my God, my house. Right. Okay. I see it. And then the part of you that hates both of them is the persecutor. The part of you that judges yourself for having them, having them, right? Like that extra level, like not the observer, but There's the someone observer. else in there. There the, is somebody the, else in the there. The thoughts book didn't pick up on, which was the part of you. It's like, I fucking hate this dialogue. Exactly. That's the persecutor. Oh, I like it. Right. And so that's where, that's what you can see, that dynamic that you continually see, right? Is that you have a part of you that hates yourself. And if you hate yourself, for doing something, or if you're constantly admonishing yourself for doing something, then, then you can easily flip into the, the victim because you're like, I'm so, I'm so terrible. Everything I do doesn't help. Nothing I do helps me get to be a better person. Everybody hates me all the time because I do this. 
And then, and then you're like, it's okay. Why don't we go do this? Why don't we go do this process right now? Or why don't we go do this? Because I'll save you from that. And then you just keep going into the spiral and everything. It is a very, very clear addiction when I listen to it in my head in that way, because I can feel how the cycle is feeding some need I have to suffer, right? It's feeding right. some need I have to, to suffer. And so when we, when I say um, the, and what I want to do right now is I'm going to read you guys a list from this um, other book, which is called self-abuse and the inner drama triangle workbook by Tony Raman. And she has an inventory. Just some light reading for the, for the Just some shop. light reading, right, right, yeah. It's the inventory for internal disequilibrium, right? So basically, I'm going to read through these things. And if you guys have a pen handy or if you don't, then you can come back and listen to this in a minute. And or I'll no, also, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes so that you can see it later. But the internal disequilibrium is the process of either self-abuse, self-abandonment, or self-neglect. And going back to your original question as to whether or not self-neglect or self-abandonment is the rescuer or the perpetrator, or sorry, is the rescuer or the victim, I'm not quite sure. I don't know if they directly correlate, but they're basically the three things that you do when you don't meet your own needs, you, you know, you, you basically. Self-neglect seems like a self-neglect seems like victim. Yeah. Self-abuse is perpetrator. What's the third one? Self-abandonment. I think self-abandonment is rescuer because the rescuer is trying to escape the pain. Like, like, let's, let me rescue you from the pain. We won't even go into the pain. Yeah. Or, or a great example of that is when, um, when you know that you're not at fault for something, but you claim responsibility, it's the perpetrator fallacy that we've talked about before. It's, Mm -hmm. I do that a lot because that's abandoning yourself. Like your value and your integrity says that you did nothing wrong, but if you're going to go ahead and say you did everything wrong just to stop the argument. That's rescuer hidden. It's, it's rescuer and perpetrator clothing. Okay. Exactly. Right. When you read it. Cool. Okay. So on a scale of one to four, please indicate how true these behaviors are to you with regard to your internal environment, place a number, uh, basically place a number from one to four. So one is hardly ever two is sometimes three is frequently and four is almost always. Okay. One complaining to myself or others. Two, disconnecting in whatever ways I can from my emotions and needs. This could be distraction, escapism, etc. Three, denying emotions. Four, trying to get rid of parts of me. I wish I didn't have to deal with blank. Five, annoyed with parts or aspects of my physical body. Six, refusing to forgive myself for something I did in the past. Seven, expecting perfection. Eight, Remaining disconnected from the self, the body, or its needs, feelings for more than one to two hours. Nine, being harsh and unrelenting with myself. 10, expecting things that aren't realistic from my body. 11, aligning with ego defenses over self-connectedness and integrity with the body. 12, using credit cards and not paying them off at the end of the month. 13, doing things for others that I'm not sure I can afford. And that's both money and energy. 14, expressing disgust and or contempt to parts of myself. 15, feeling critical or judgmental or blaming others. 16, feeling repelled or disgusted by others. 17, noticing a repeating refrain that sounds like an explanation to put an issue to rest, but the issue doesn't actually resolve. And 18, punishing myself for a past mistake. So- 
So it's just like one of those Cosmo quizzes where at the end, they're like, you're mostly a victim or something. That's basically it. Yeah. Well, it basically it, it comes to the conclusion that if you scored between 18 and 30, you don't have very many behaviors that uh, contribute to disequilibrium in your inner environment. The idea being that we talk about equanimity and we talk about, um, you know, with the Vipassana and with, with uh, meditation about equanimity, being okay with your inner state and having your inner state be kind of as calm as, as, you know, being a peaceful thing, being what we're trying to go for. The higher your score on this, the more disequilibrium you have on a regular basis, the more your thoughts are completely destroying the peace of your inner mind and your inner thoughts. So 18 to 30, you have few behaviors that contribute 31 to 69, some behaviors that contribute and 70 plus many behaviors that contribute to disequilibrium in your inner environment. Basically the items that you numbered as a three or four are the behaviors that are the most damaging to your inner peace and your sense of inner peace. All right. So that's an idea of the inner triangle. Um, but we're going to go deeper now into our, uh, the victim and the persecutor. Before we do that, we are going to have a quick word from a sponsor. Hi, Christina, co-host of This Spiritual Fix. Has listening to our podcast stirred up something for you with the primal wounds? The good news is, is you have access, and that is the first step to transforming these wounds. We created support packages to help you through this process, and they're available on our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com. These packages were designed by Anna and I, combining techniques and hacks from our own experience working through our own wounds. Each packet contains a workbook and two meditations, one about forgiving those who have wounded you, including yourself, and one about reprogramming old beliefs. You can buy an individual support package or for those next level processors, all five packets, abandonment, injustice, rejection, betrayal, and humiliation. Available on our website in our shop. And we're back. And we're talking about, we're going to talk about the victim first, since it is the ultimate goal of the entire drama triangle is to become the victim. But that's not the goal of life. I mean, we meaning like that's the goal of the ego. It's the goal <laughs> of the drama triangle. That's what we're trying to get away from here on that's this right. spiritual fix. <laughs> the victim is not the goal of the self-aware trying to get enlightened person. Exactly. Victimization is the goal of the ego. Exactly. Exactly. So the victim is the, the victim plays the key role in the drama trial because the whole game revolves around competing to be the victim. It is the one role whose needs can be met without having to ask others directly. Right. So this goes back to what we were talking about before. So one person who doesn't need their, they, they basically put themselves up as someone who needs to be helped as someone who needs to be healed. And then everyone else is supposed to come to their rescue or admonish them, basically either persecute them or rescue them. A, a perfect example of this is like when someone, uh, uh, someone's like, uh, in, in a, you'll see this with spouses. One of them says, I'm so tired. And the other one says, well, I'm so tired too. And I got less sleep than you. You don't have the right to be tired. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, that's a good one of like, you're just maybe just stating a fact. And then the other one kind of like pushes you into victimhood. And then you suddenly feel like you need to defend your stance on being tired and be like, well, we can both be tired. Yeah. Yeah. Or we can both be tired. Or maybe the second person is actually saying, Hey, I could really use a break. Like, I just want to go take a nap for 30 minutes, or I could really just use it. Like, do you think maybe I can just have some time to just kind of chill out? Like instead of asking for directly what they need, it's like, let me one up you on tiredness because I'm not directly, I'm just being stoic 
and not telling anybody what my needs are because I'm so strong and I'm going to sit here and rescue everybody by not complaining. But ultimately I just want to become the victim and have people take care of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are two types of victims, the pathetic victim and the angry victim. (laughs) (laughs) Which one, which one are you, Chris? Well, let me hear the definition and I'll tell you which one I think I am. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I already know, I already know which one I am. Oh, oh, I definitely, I, yeah, I, I, I actually play both of them pretty well. Um, I'm an angry victim, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would yeah. say the pathetic victim plays one down game. So instead of I'm going to try and one up you, I'm going to, I'm going to play one down games. I hold pity parties, displays woeful, poor me, facial expressions and body language, and basically has a lot of verbal language that says, oh, poor me, poor me language in general. The other one must scowl and stop because that's me. <laughs> That's it, right? So the angry victim pretends to be powerful using guilt and shame to get others to feel sorry for them. Perfect. That's totally me. (laughs) The underlying motive of the angry victim is revenge, right? Which is interesting because it goes back to the, you know, possibility of the the link with the injustice. So it's Um, not my Scorpio moon. (laughs) It's it's probably that too, actually, right? Uh, Yeah. So in general, the victim feels they feel victimized, oppressed, helpless, hopeless, powerless, and ashamed. They look for a rescuer to help perpetuate their negative self-beliefs. They use the victim role to avoid making decisions, solving problems, and taking responsibility. They use conflict situations to play the victim, and they embrace and create conflict situations. They have a slouched, dejected body posture, and they operate from a, um, I'm not okay, and you're okay. And so let me just explain what that means real quick. There was this um, best-selling book that was written in the 60s called I Am Okay, You're Not, I'm Okay, You're Okay. It was written Wait, in- 19- Quick question. You're talking about the pathetic one, right? Or yeah, I was talk- I'm one? talking about all of them when I oh, talk okay. about that. Yeah, no, okay. that's a good question. So those, the pathetic and the angry both show those, those last characteristics that I just said. But one of the things I mentioned at the end is the, that they, that both victims, both pathetic and angry operate from, I'm not okay. You're okay. And this comes from a book by Thomas Harris, who was a doctor. Um, he was a, basically he recognized the role that was happening in social interactions. And he wrote a book called I'm okay. You're okay. And apparently it's one of the highest selling self-help books ever published. I did not know that. Never I never read it. it. Yeah. I've heard of it, but I never read it. He describes Harris described four life positions that people take on. I'm not okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. I'm okay. You're not okay. And I'm okay. You're okay. And let me give you a brief description of what this means. Okay. The most common position is I'm not okay. You're okay. And this occurs because children perceive adults as large, strong, and competent and themselves as little, weak, and inept. So they conclude Mm -hmm. I'm not okay. You're okay. That's the victim, the child, the victim. Exactly. Parents, teachers, and authority fi- figures often reinforce this message. Right. I know, I know everything. You don't know everything, which is, you know, to the kid is okay. I'm not okay. And you're okay. Like you can do it, but I can't. Right. Mm-hmm. Children who are physically and emotionally abused often conclude I'm not okay. You're not okay. So it's both. Neither of us are okay because you're beating me up and I'm getting beat up. Right. So to speak. Or I'm okay, you're not okay, which is I'm the strong one, but there's something wrong with you because you're doing this to me. Right. Like that would be in the, in the case where the parent actually has the child parenting the parent. Exactly. Exactly. 
the goal of this book was basically to help people understand that their life position affects their communications and social transactions. Oh, I want to read this. Yeah. Yeah. I th- especially since I didn't know it was like such an amazing book that everybody apparently in the sixties read. <laughs> I had never, but maybe in the seventies they weren't okay because they raised us. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Good one. So the payoff, as we mentioned with victims, is that they get their wants and needs needs met without asking. Martyrs are a special class of victim. They are sometimes. I, I'm an I'm an ex martyr, by the way. <laughs> so you could tell us all about it, Anna. You tell oh, us all about how we. I've, I've I've come to the other side of mother martyrdom with the help of Suzanne Raja, and I'm not kidding when I say that. Yeah, I was totally in mother martyrdom. Yeah. After my kids were born. And I needed help getting out of it. I was the fucking martyr. Yep. Yep. So sometimes they're sometimes described as emotional vampires. They act out toxic theatrical vignettes that escalate into hysterical and high drama in order to get what they want. Um, I've definitely done this too. <laughs> martyr. Well, yeah. I'm trying to think. It didn't seem theatrical at the time, but yeah, I would definitely probably scare my husband. <laughs> right. They use their victim statics to invoke extreme pity and to prove that nothing can improve their situation. So rather than blame other people for their troubles, they blame it on God or some other component or force. This is just the way that it is. And I can't do anything about it. Um, this is just the way that society or, or is. The next step further. You did this to me. <laughs> right, right. They say that martyrs are the most eloquent and committed kind of victim. <laughs> oh, I, I was very committed to my victimhood. <laughs> I can't sleep, but God forbid I do cry it out. That's right. Right. You back, you box yourself into your own corner. Yeah. Yeah. I, my baby won't take a bottle. I will exclusively breastfeed. Boo hoo. I can't sleep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right? I, I totally did it to myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that is kind of what the, the victim is in a nutshell. Do you have any good victim stories, Anna? Any good stories of oh. your amazing victimhoodness? Oh, well, my mother martyrhood was a great, because it was like, I had these extremely high goals for me as a mother. Like I'm going to do an all natural unmedicated water birth, and I'm going to exclusively breastfeed no bottles. And I'm going to never do cry it out because God forbid I traumatize my child. I'm going to co-sleep. And then doing all those things meant I was really grouchy because I was really tired. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get more than four hours of sleep at a time for four years. Um, cause I had, you know, little ones back to back and were there easier ways to do it that would involve me getting more sleep? Yes. Did I do them? No. I, I like created the situation in which my children would not take a bottle from anyone because they were addicted to my boobs. And then it was so funny. Cause you know, we talked in one episode, how you make, you make songs about your, your problems. Like Christina's is I hate to be in a body. And for a while mine was, I like to complain. Well, when I was going through my mother martyrdom, my song was let me create dependency on you. Oh no, I'm sorry. Let me make you dependent upon me and then resent you for your dependency. <laughs> it's very eloquent. I think it that, that like was, that was my, yeah, that was my, that was my go-to theme song for mother martyrhood. Let me make you dependent on me. Let me not use any resources available to me. Yeah. And then yeah. let me bitch and moan about what a victim I am because of the choices I made. So yeah. yeah. That was my mother martyrhood in a nutshell. And I graduated from that and my marriage withstood that. And I did it all for my children. 
No, I didn't. I did it for my own weird bullshit ideals of what a, a good mother should be. And mm -hmm. in retrospect, a good mother is someone who loves all of her and protects herself from burnout, which I didn't do. But I know that now. And, um, and, and no, there's a million different ways to be a good mother. Like you might still be in mother motherhood and you're still a good mother, you know, like as my friend told me, this is just, if anyone's listening and can totally relate to what I'm talking about and you're in your mother motherhood thing. One of my friends told me, she said, if someone like just walked into your house with a gun, think twice and you would just take a bullet for your kid. Like there's just no doubt, like you would absolutely hundred percent do that. And so she said, what happens is, is that underneath the surface of all your bullshit drama is this overwhelming fountain of love for your kids. So even if you're caught up in the drama triangle of martyrhood, you, your kids are going to be fine because underneath all of that is your never ending love, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, was I a martyr for their develop, like very early developmental years? Yeah. But underneath all that, I know they felt loved and I'm hoping that that will protect them from any fucked up dynamics that I was doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's the thing, the, 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 the fucked up dynamics are, are there to be evolved out of. Like right. I, I used to always think I, I actually, this is like, this is okay. So one of the things that happens in general with the drama triangle is that you believe that pain and suffering are the ultimate goals and good. Ultimately, if we're saying that pain and suffering are good and joy and happiness are bad, you know, when you come into this place, you're just like, I'm just going to ultimately suffer as much as I possibly can, because that's what I need needs to be. And, and with my kids, I have so much fear of traumatizing my child, my children. And at one point I remember thinking, wait a second. Okay. So there's nothing I can do to not traumatize my kid. I've since understood differently that I think this is a side note that, that trauma is a result of having a very, what could be a very intense emotional experience and not being supported to process it is what I think trauma is, is basically having these experiences, but not having the support around you to be able to, to understand it. But I used to think that there was nothing I could do to not traumatize my kids. I was like, I'm going to traumatize them no matter what, like they're going to, there's going to be something that I said, there's always, you know, you always talk to people. And I, I think I do this too. Like that one time when, when I was three years old and my parents didn't give me a bottle and therefore I never got what I needed. Like you always hear those stories. And as a parent, it's absolutely terrifying because you're like, is this going to be the one thing you remember? Like, is this going to be the one thing that like you, you hold against me for the rest of your life because I didn't do the thing you needed to do. And it was a traumatic experience. And I'm like, okay, so I can never live up to the standard. I'm not traumatizing you. Like I'm terrified of that. Like, it's just so it's terrifying. And so but here's go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I have two little anecdotes to that. If you want to hear them. Yeah. One is. I was raised in a family and where I'm from in New Mexico, everyone I was raised with were raised in families where like no one was given a car on their 16th birthday. Everyone had to work for pretty much everything they had and their clothes. And then as I grew up and I moved to Atlanta, I met people who, let's say you have the have and the have nots. I met a lot of haves here in Atlanta. And yet they had these victim stories of having to like work so hard and suffer so hard. And like, and they, their parents only bought them a Toyota and not a Mercedes where like where I'm from, no one got, was given anything, you know? And it was kind of like, I had this wake up call, like the have and the have nots. It doesn't matter if you're a have or a have not, if you have victim mentality, you will find it in anything. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the same thing with kids and trauma, like 
doesn't matter what childhood you give them. If they want to play the victim card, they're going to, you know, and it reminded me of this other story, which is hilarious, which my cousin Liz told me. So my cousin Liz went to every single one of her daughter's basketball, soccer, track and field, like every, both of those girls, my, her, she was at every single one of their sporting events, every single one. Now the father worked full time, could rarely make it to the events. He made it to maybe two a year max, but because it was so seldom that he went, the girls would get super excited when they saw him. And it was a really big deal. Like dad's at my game, dad's at my game. Cause it like never happened. Now what happened fast forward 10 years later, 15 years later, they'll say, dad never missed a game. They don't remember the mom being at any of the games because that was just so normal to them that it just like went right through their memory. But they both have strong memories of their dad being there because those were very marked, strong memories, right? So Liz told me, she goes, Anna, in the end, do what you want to do because they're going to remember what they're going to remember anyways. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a really good point, right? That's a really good point. It's like, whatever happens is going to happen. And the best thing that you can do for your kids is to pull them out of victim consciousness. Right. 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 And it doesn't matter. Like the details don't matter. It's the drama triangle that matters. Mm -hmm. It is because as soon as we teach our kids to move into individuation so that they're, they're becoming the master and they become becoming the cooperator, then then it isn't a matter of this was done to me, right? This is this is what Anna's told me forever. And I only started getting when I did the drama triangle is it's not a matter of saying this is the world is not uh for or against me. You know, I've it's 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 not happening to me, it's happening for me. See, I can't even say it now. Yes, that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's move into the persecutor. All right. I'm all about it. I'm all about being persecuted. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. No, I'm sure I do persecution, but I'm more familiar with the um, <laughs> victims. Yeah. Actually, Although I'm great at self-persecution. Are you? <laughs> yeah. You got, Probably, you got the self-persecution down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kidding. I'm kidding. Gosh, I'm not kidding, but I'm kidding. You know, you know? Yeah. You know? Well, no, I love that. Okay. So I've always actually wondered about that. I wonder if that's relevant now is that you're so funny. Cause like, when you used to do that all the time, when I first met you is that you used to always, um, say just kidding. Yeah. You used to say how you felt. And then you used to say, just kidding. Right. And I'm always, I'm like, I'm like wondering now, since it's, it just came up right now, I'm like, does that mean that you like wanted to have your needs met and actually like express your opinion about something? And then you felt like you had to retract it or like soften it. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. there's that, that thing going around TikTok that says, um, if I'm too much, go find less. Yeah. Right? It's if like I'm this... too much for you, then go find less. Yeah. And yeah. I, mine was, if I'm too much for you, then I was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, before we get into persecutor, actually, I lied. Um, we're going to talk really quickly about um, religion and this, which I think is really interesting. Um, oh, religion is all about victim because it's like, I don't want to have to choose. Right. So, well, so what is really interesting, and I know I I've read books about this in general, but there's this idea of the savior complex, particularly in Christianity, but in a lot of other things too, um, in which something is there to save you, right? This all stems from this idea, which is relatively modern in terms of like, it's not actually 2000 years old for Christianity in particular. It's, it's a relatively recent concept that original sin, which we've talked about before, 
Um, I think it was in the co-creation episode, right? Have we? But have we? <laughs> just kidding. Every, <laughs> everyone knows about original sin. I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, you know, for those of you guys who don't know, original sin is the idea that you cannot Wait, help- if you don't know what original sin is, where have you been all your life? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm persecuting. Sorry. <laughs> is the idea that you cannot help but sin because it is your very nature. Since you have no control over your sinful behavior, you can only be victimized by it. It is the religious persecutor's job to remind you of how you have sinned. They are in charge of deciding whether or not you have jumped through the hoops they've set for you and whether or not you are worthy of being saved. So Jesus Christ died for our sins and he and the church leaders who are the rescuers as his representatives can save you from eternal damnation, but they're the only ones who can, right? And one of the things that came along with this was really, really interesting was the golden rule. So the golden rule, if in case y'all don't know, is that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is actually not the actual translation of the golden rule. The golden rule came from Jewish rabbi Hillel and the early Christian church altered it. The original one historically and linguistically stated, do not do unto others that which is hateful unto thee. Okay. We say it one more time. Do not do unto others that which is hateful to thee. So basically another way of saying that is don't do things to other people that's hateful to yourself. Mm-hmm. That's so different than do unto others as they have them do unto you, right? Because one takes a very, act, the, the, the do unto others as you would have them do unto you takes a very active stance that you're always supposed to be entering the drama triangle. You're always supposed to be rescuing other. I always have to do to other people so that they won't do unto me, right? Whereas saying, don't do to others what's hateful to yourself is actually more of a statement around maintaining the equilibrium of your mind. Don't do things to other people that's that's hateful unto thee. Like, don't do things that harm yourself by doing them. It's a very, very different prospect. Do you understand what I mean? Is it, am I being clear about that, Anna? Okay. I want to like, make sure I understand that. But so side note, did you know that Rabbi Hillel invented the sandwich long before the Earl of sandwich? Okay. Fun fact. <laughs> Anyways, going into the thing that you're saying. So you're mm-hmm. saying do unto others, meaning, okay, that that is twisted because then you're like, I need to do good for everyone, but it's saying you don't have to do good for others. You just not to have to do, you just should not do bad. Right. Right. So, so the point is the Christian golden rule, which is the, the one that is the, the bastardization of the original one contains the expectation that if I do something for others, I will get something of equal value in return. Right. That's not how I interpreted that. I interpreted as treat your neighbor as you should, as you would want to be treated. Right. But the language, I think the trick that what the point is in this particular one is that the language, it causes people to be focus on the behaviors of others and that they'll get something in return from them. Right. So this is, this is like a, this is, this is one interpretation of this. You guys might have a different thing, but I think it's interesting in relation to the drama triangle, because if the original doesn't have that sort of activity of which do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So like, I know so many people who like, are like, I'm going to be good because I'm going to get something good in return. Right. It's like, it's not an altruistic, I'm going to do good. It's going to do, I'm going to do good because I want this to happen to me too. Right. So it becomes kind of a too much quid pro quo of like, I'm going to do this and you're going to do that. And, oh, and okay. I never interpreted it like that, but yeah. I see that. I, I think I can understand how you didn't. I definitely used to, 
So that's why it really resonated with me as I was just like, oh, that's right. It's actually not the same thing. It's not the same thing as being like, you know, don't do not do unto others that which is hateful to thee. Like it's, it's just a very different interpretation. I would love to hear if other people have other interpretations of the golden rule, or if they have more insight on that, on the, that piece as well, or if that's just too complicated. All right. So going into the persecutor, the persecutor is the rescuer is the good guy in the drama triangle. He's the hero. And the persecutor is the bad guy in the drama triangle. Most people avoid it unless they need to vent, quote unquote, justified negative feelings, such as anger or rage. In these instances, they must identify some excuse to feel justified or right so that they can express their negative feelings. And once they have a good reason for making someone bad, they can just dump their repressed feelings out onto them, even if they're just completely coming from other places too. Um, it's one of the payoffs of being a persecutor is that you get to vent a lot of emotional energy onto somebody else. Um, once you find a justification that you can mm -hmm. righteous indignation is the most common form of persecutor behavior. And it puts others down by using guilt and shame. So here are a summary of people who are in the persecutor role. They set unnecessarily restrictive rules and limits so that it's harder for you to stay within their bounds, blames others for whatever happens, criticizes all actions of others, keeps the victim oppressed, expresses justified and righteous anger, uses guilt and shame to put another person down, provokes conflict and drama, takes a rigid authoritative stance and acts and sounds like a critical parent. They come from an I'm okay, you're not okay position. So going back to what we were saying. Mm -hmm. in the very injustice wound, yeah. Very injustice wound. And so the payoff is that they get to be right and therefore justified in releasing pent up emotions. The persecutor role always allows a player to remain in control and dominate others. Um, but when someone rejects their heavy handed behavior and expresses basically justified anger in return, they then get to become the victim. So if someone, if, if, so to translate that, a persecutor's like, blah, 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 you're so terrible, blah, 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 blah. And then someone is like, hey, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to become the persecutor instead. And so someone in return goes, blah, 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 blah. You can't, you know, justifiably starts yelling back and saying, you can't treat me like this. Then all of a sudden the persecutor gets to become the victim and they've won the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you that. get to be the victim. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the games that the persecutor role plays are um what this guy calls Niggy Sob, which is a acronym for now I've got you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> right? It's well, like, that's the persecutor's thing. That's the persecutor's game. Now I got you, you son of a bitch, and now no, I get to you. be the victim. Yeah. I set you up. <laughs> yeah. It's all they your probably fault. don't even know they're doing it. They no. probably don't even realize they're doing it. And then boom, they're the victim. That's right. That's right. And it's all your fault is another game they play and see what you made me do. See what you made me do. God, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a pretty good persecutor when it comes down to it. You are, you <laughs> are. Um, and so, so those are, that's kind of the summary of the persecutor role. Um, we talked about a bit more about this persecutor role in the last episode as well. Um, but the thing is, is that I think is interesting is my kind of thought on this is that most people don't have any sympathy for the persecutor, right? If you go and you read books and I'm going to be like, I, I mentioned this um, before when I first got into the drama triangle, I was coming from the place of the abuser. 
because I was recognizing how much I was abusing myself in the self-abusant try in the, in the drama triangle, in the inner drama triangle. But I was also recognizing how much I was persecuting other people for doing things, right? And to the point where I felt like if I was in any other role, then I could be an abuser. Like I literally got to that point, which was hilarious in some ways because the persecutor inside of me was egging me on towards becoming even more of an, an abuser than I already was like verbally. And I don't actually think that I am an abuser, but it definitely reached points in my head where I was persecuting myself for being that. So I went to that route first. I was like, hey, I wanna, I wanna, I, Al-Anon exists for rescuers and, and, you know, victims are, are kind of, you go out and you look for a book on victims and they're literally 50 million. Like there's so many books about being a victim and how to deal with being a victim and how to deal with having had abuse. Um, it took me a second to realize that alcohol and not alcoholics anonymous was actually for persecutors right? Because when you are an, an addict, you're kind of, you run all three in the drama triangle, but you're also, you're, you're abusing yourself with your habit. And then you're, and then everybody You're else. rescuing yourself because it's self-medication. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought it was really interesting that for people who wanted, like, I couldn't find a single book on somebody who was an abuser what someone would do in a position of, if they found that they were an abuser and how, what they would do about it. Like I didn't find a single book. I didn't look on anger management and maybe I should have done that. But if, if anybody knows of anything, I would really love to hear about it because I think it's really fascinating that there's this complete vacuum. I think there are, there are books on narcissist recovery. You could try in that vein for next episode. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, um, narcissist recovery could be a thing, but I think that not all persecutors can qualify as narcissists. You know what I mean? So I think you're right. I think that if I was going to go anywhere, it would be narcissist recovery, but I wonder if there's also something for, for, you know, the other pieces of that, because one of the quotes that I love in this with the persecutor is they say, it is very difficult for people to believe the simple fact that every persecutor was once a victim, yet it should be very obvious that someone who has been allowed to feel free and strong from childhood does not have a need to humiliate another person. So that last part, I'm sorry. Yet it should be very obvious that someone who has been allowed to be free and strong from childhood does not have the need to humiliate another person. That makes sense. And that's, can I just, can I throw you a little side note in regarding all this with past life regression? When I first started doing past life regression, like literally 25 years ago, I just saw benign lives, whatever as I think I got emotionally stronger, I would see lifetimes in which I was the victim. It wasn't until the last few years that I started to see myself as the perpetrator, because I believe it, it wasn't until I was able to have more compassion towards perpetrators that I was willing to see it in myself. My own subconscious kind of like shielded me from the persecutor memories because it's like, let's, let's maintain your image of victimhood or let's maintain, you know, your safety and identity safety. And then like, I feel like one way that you know you're growing in the past is that when you do have past life regressions, you see yourself as the villain sometimes because in the grand scheme of things, if you are a proponent of past lives um, out of a hundred lifetimes, we can't assume that all nine, you know, 99 of them, you were the victim. You were probably an asshole in some of them too. Anyways, that's just a side note. No, that's really good. That's really good. 
Um, cool. So before we go into the wounds, I do just want to touch really quickly. I was talking about the games that the persecutor played, which is now I've got you, you son of a bitch. And it's all your fault and see what you made me do. The rescuer has games too. And I didn't mention these when we were talking about the rescuer in the last episode. Oh, look, can I guess what they are? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go for it. Let me save you and then turn into the victim when you don't recognize my savior or praise me for my saviorness. That's, that's very close. One is <laughs> I'm only trying to help you. The other is look at how hard I've tried. I've tried so hard to rescue you and I failed. So now I'm the victim. This rescuer victim thing is so obvious when you have lost a loved one and you're like, let's say you're hosting a funeral or a wake for someone and people come and they're like, I'm, I'm so sorry that you're not feeling like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And then you're the victim of a great loss. And then you feel like you need to be the rescue and you're like, no, 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 I'm okay. And then you feel like you need to protect the person well wishing you. That's so interesting. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. That is a total thing. Yeah. Um, Cool. Cool. All right. Okay. Wounds. Into the, into the into, wounds. Into, into the into, thick of it. Into, <laughs> or uh, into the woods. That's me with my say, Sondheim. I'm like, <laughs> I was going to do the backyardians into the thick of it. Uh-huh. Okay. So I had a little conversation with Archangel Michael and I said, can you help me understand how the primal wounds play out with the drama triangle? And if you haven't yet listened to our eight episode series on the primal wounds, which is in season one, it starts on episode 14. You got to go back and listen to that. Cause that is like an amazing series. It boosted us to the top 10 in like 50 countries. And, and not, 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 not that that matters, but what I'm saying is it touched a lot of people. It, it kind of went pseudo viral in the podcast world. And I think you guys would really like it anyway, side note. So if we say that the primal wound is the musical instrument, the drama triangle are the keys that you play. So in these wounds, we have active and passive. So I just want to go through and you have, there's a quiz on our website. If you want to know what your primal, your primary, there's a quiz on our website. If you want to know what your primary or predominant primal wound is. So let's say your predominant primal wound is abandonment. There's an active and passive side of it. So the active plays rescuer. That's the, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to protect the people around me and save them. And that way I will be indispensable. They won't leave me. And then you have the passive part, which is I am the victim. I've been left. I've been forgotten. Right. Yep. Then you have rejection and with rejection, you have, they are actively the rescuer and passively the victim. So when I say that rejection is actively the rescuer, it's because they're like, I have to shield myself from the pain of rejection. I'm going to flee. I'm going to escape. They zone out, they escape either through drugs, alcohol, TV, phone, whatever, but their act of escapism is actually a, a form of, of rescue, self-rescue, right? Right. right. Other pe- and other people will perceive it as rejection, you know, but they're, they're actually not intentionally trying to reject anyone. It's more of like a self-protection thing. AKA yep. rescuing and then passively. Yeah. They're the victim. Poor me, poor me. I've been rejected. Then the third word we got here is injustice active. They are the persecutor. They're the ones who are like, you're wrong. You're I'm going to villainize you. I'm going to tell you just how wrong you are because that was an unjust thing. And then passively, they are the rescuer because deep down inside their idea is I got to save the world and make everything fair and balanced. Then you have betrayal and betrayal is active. The active form of betrayal is the persecutor. Fuck you. You're disloyal. You betrayed me. 
blah, blah, blah. Yep. And then passively, they are the rescuer because passively they're trying to control everything and exerting control on everything is a form of rescuing everyone and anything from life itself. Right. Mm -hmm. And then finally we have humiliation and actively they are the persecutor because they're like, I'm going to tell you all the reasons why you should be ashamed of yourself. And, and they do that to themselves. And then passively, again, they're the victim. Poor me, poor me. I'm so low. Look at me and poor me. Mm-hmm. So that was Archangel's Michael. So that was Archangel Michael's contribution to this episode on the wounds and the drama triangle. Do you agree with that, Chris? I think so. Yeah. I think that it makes a lot of sense. Cause I know last season we were kind of like, well, they can be passive in some ways, like in some ways it feels like abandonment is passive, but I think that part of it is just a passive, right? But like, I like the idea that they have active and passive expressions of themselves. And both of those come in the form of the, the, the wounds. Cause it makes sense. At first I was like, well, injustice is just the persecutor. Always the persecutor. No, right. but deep down inside, it's a, it's a desire to rescue the world from unfairness. Yeah. Yeah. And so it makes a lot of sense that there's an active and a passive expression of it. It makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in final, so in, in, in conclusion, in conclusion, stop playing this fucking drama game. Yeah. You got to stop. Stop. I clipped my audio when I was being my persecutor in that particular case. Yes. You got uh, basically the no, idea. I'm kidding. That, no, uh, we're, we're persecuting you. We're just kidding. You didn't yeah. come on this podcast to be persecuted. No, no. Um, to be rescued though. Um, but <laughs> me, that's okay too. We're here to rescue you guys. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. We're the victims. So no we'll one's ta- left us a good review all week. <laughs> please, please leave us a good review. That's exactly what we need. Um, okay. Or a review no, in general. Yeah. But, but seriously, seriously, no more it, drama triangle jokes. Let's, let's, let's get to the thick. Let's get to the, yeah, it, we'll get into the thick of it in the sense that we're going to be talking about in um, the last episode in the series, we are going to be talking about ways that you can heal this in yourself. If you are, if we are opening a door for you, if we are giving you access to this inside yourself, from my experience of going through this, I would really recommend it becomes like a, an onion in the sense that you can watch your behavior and you can say like, that's my drama triangle. And then if you have patterns of self-abuse, then you'll start persecuting yourself for being in the drama triangle or for going back into the drama triangle. And then you can just keep, it becomes this like fractal where you can always find a way to become the persecutor from whatever perspective of observer you have of your own behavior. So the trick is, is to surrender as much as possible that you can to just watch it and say, this is all playing itself out. I am, I am I, not the doer of action. I am not the doer of action. Going back to that. I am not the doer of action. I just say, I'm grateful for this experience. Like I've just started, I've just had to start mantras in my head. I love myself. I'm grateful for this experience. This too will pass. Like all these different things that say it's okay. Like, it's okay. If you fall back into it, it's not a perfect experience. I mean, it is a perfect experience, but you may not be perfect at doing it and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To spread your awareness of, of your own behavior and watch your mind, watch your behavior. And yeah, first step is insight. And that's what these, these last, this in, this in the last episode was just about showing you some insight, how this dynamic plays out in your life. And in the future, we'll discuss how you can help let go of these stories and process it. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks everyone. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to us. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Please be sure to rate us and review us on iTunes. That way we can stay on the charts and people can find us. Thanks so much.
And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.